What's up, youth? It's Pastor Aaron. I hope you are encouraged and blessed by this message. Well, for you guys who don't know who I am, I'm Rob. I'm just a leader here. Um, that's Pastor Aaron over there. That's Pastor Luke. They are the pastors on staff. I'm just the guy who is fortunate enough to be trusted to speak with you guys today. Um, just going to jump right into it. I feel like God's got a lot to say to you guys today. Um, I spent a lot of time in this message, a week and a half, and then it changed today. So I'm really excited for what's going to happen. Um, I've recited this, went over it one time. So I'm excited. That's exciting stuff. Uh, so today we're going to talk about, so we're going through a series through First Peter right now. Today we're talking about First Peter 2, 1 through 12. Um, we're going to talk about the message title would, I guess, be today, tomorrow, and the next. So as you're encountering giving your life to the Lord, we're going to talk about what you do today, what you do tomorrow, and what you continue to do the next day. Um, similar in sequential order of things that I've encountered in my life, things that I've done. I'm going to talk about me a little bit today. Um, a lot of you guys have heard about me before, but um, first we're going to talk about ridding yourself of things. So as you start to encounter God, as you give your life to him, you have to change your lifestyles. You have to change your ways. So we're going to talk about ridding yourself. Um, I'm going to talk about how to rid yourself of these things, how I've done it, what I've rid myself of. Then we're going to talk about this process known as refinement. Um, I'm going to talk about living stones in the church and then refinement and what that looks like. It's like a constant thing with the Lord. Can you guys hear me? Okay, because I, I get in trouble for holding the mic too low. So, and then, then we're going to talk about living it out, how you live for God, how you treat people and such. So let's pray and let's dive right in. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I pray for hearts to listen, ears to listen, minds to listen, God. I pray for an encounter tonight, God. I pray that your words speak, God. You speak through me. I am merely just a vessel for you. In your name, amen. Okay, so like I said, I've gone over this about one time because it all changed today, or a lot of it. So let's just dive right in. So 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Therefore, Rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this process or this, this, this thing of ridding yourself, it talks about ridding yourself of deceit, hypocrisy, anger, slander of every kind. Now these are wonderful things to rid yourself of. They're heart issues. But a lot of what I had to rid myself of was these physical things that I was actually doing, these lifestyle ways that I was living. Now, don't get me wrong. I had plenty of heart issues to rid myself of. But as I read this, my mind and my heart instantly went to these things that I had to rid myself because it was difficult. So what I'm talking about is not just these heart postures that are noted. I'm talking about ridding yourself of your lifestyle ways. So I had to rid myself of the things I was doing on Friday and Saturday night before I came to church on Sunday morning. I had to rid myself of addictions because I had to rid myself of things that are not of God as I started to encounter God. So I rid myself of addictions, behaviors of what I was doing. And probably one of the hardest things I had to do is I had to rid people out of my life. Not that they were bad people, but they were no longer gonna be impacting my life in a good way because now my life was gonna be sold for God. But how did I do this? Because it's hard. I'm not gonna sit here and act like it was this easy process. It took me two years to finally come into full surrender, to step away from my previous lifestyle, to step to God. It took me two years. Now, I know people who have come in a snap of a finger. I'm not gonna put a box on God. He can change you overnight. But for me, it was a process. And it was a difficult one because of me, because I wasn't willing to give things up. 
So how did I do this? Um, so a little bit about me. I started to flirt with the idea of God for like a little bit. I started to kind of go to church, kind of not. I knew this idea of God, um, but I just flirted with it until I hit rock bottom. So a little bit about me, just a quick testimony. Um, I graduated college and I became relatively hyper successful for my age. I started, I was in the pursuit of money, money, money. It's all I wanted. It's all I desired. I was after it. Got it. Worthless. I pursued relationships. Got them worthless. Pursued anything under the sun, as Ecclesiastes would say, and it was all worthless. And I started to hit rock bottom. And as I had all these things, I'd wake up every day simply wishing I just hadn't. Although I had everything the world told me I needed. Now, I know a lot of you guys have heard me say that before, but for those who don't know, so you can have an understanding of what I'm talking about. So as I hit rock bottom and I realized I had nothing else, the things that I was trying to do to put myself to sleep because I was sleeping one to two hours a night, got stress and anxiety and all these miserable feelings, I started to surround myself with God. So I started to say, okay, you know what, God? I've given you a fraction of me. Now let me give you all of me. Let me start to turn to you and sacrifice these ways, ridding myself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, ridding myself of addiction, ridding myself of these physical ways I was behaving, and ridding myself of people as well. So I said, you know what, God? I'm just going to surround myself with you. I'm going to give you my everything. What is surround myself with him? On my drive to work, so I'm listening to worship music. When I'm at work and I'm working on my computer, I'm still listening to worship music. I have a meeting to go to. I'm listening to a sermon on the way to that meeting. I'm in this state of constant surrender. I'm riding my Harley. I'm listening to worship music. I'm at the gym. I'm listening to worship music because I said, I am at rock bottom right now. I feel as though I have nothing, even though the world tells me I have everything, but I feel I have nothing. So let me try this because my mom told me my whole life growing up that this was the answer, but I never tried it. Shout out to having a praying mama. So that got me into this state of constant surrender. So then I got interested because I always had this contorted view of God. And I always thought God was this angry God in the sky at me because I was living a constant life of skin, of sin. I thought God was just always angry at me. But then I started to say, you know what? But people tell me the opposite, but they're not as much of a sinner as I am. But they always tell me God's not constantly mad at me. So let me try and understand who God is. So I started to dive into scripture. And I started to find that God wasn't always mad at me. He forgave me. I started to find that God wasn't punishing me when things went wrong. He still loved me. Bad things, I used to constantly think as I started to surrender, like, this bad thing's happening to me because I'm a sinner. Because of this, God's allowing this to happen. That's just not the truth. And I started to learn that through Scripture. So then as I started to find out who God was, I got into this rabbit hole of who does God say I am? Because my identity right now is wrapped up in owning a home, it's wrapped up in this car I drive, it's wrapped up in these relationships, but who does he say I am? Because people always say it doesn't matter what people say or people think, it matters what God thinks. I started to become intrigued by that. I said, well, who does he say I am? And man, I found out how much he loved me. Man, I found out how much, how I was so special and so important. Me, how many billion people are on this earth now? Does anyone know? Eight billion, seven billion, it's crazy. I always think I'm one in seven billion. How am I of any importance? There's people like Pastor Luke, Pastor Aaron, who are really sold out for God, and then there's little old me. I'm of no importance. But the beautiful thing is, is God doesn't love these pastors at the rock any more than he loved me as a sinner and any more than he loves you as a sinner. He doesn't love anybody more than the other, and it was this beautiful concept that I started to grasp. And it started to allow me to just rely on him on everything because I knew who he was and knew who he said I am. 
So I started to fall in love with him. And then in verse two and three, it talks about like a newborn baby craving spiritual milk. And I love this analogy because as newborn babies, you quite literally desire and need milk to survive. So this concept of desiring spiritual milk, like a newborn baby, you're desiring the presence of God. I started to find myself desiring God like a baby desired milk. I started to desire his presence, his plans for my life. And this was a process. And this, this, this concept of being childlike is all over the Bible. Matthew 18, three says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never inherit the kingdom of God, or never enter the kingdom of God. So what are these characteristics of a child? What are these, why does it say, unless you become a child, like a little child, you won't enter? Well, children, they're carefree. They have the utmost trust and faith in people that are older than them and their parents or older siblings or whoever has authority over their life, children have the utmost trust and faith in them. So I found myself starting to become like a child looking up to God. So now when a storm comes and when tragedy happens in my life, I just sit back and I relax and I say, God's got me handled. God's got my back. And I, and I, I saw this happen this last month of my life. I started to witness myself not sleeping again. So in the past, my lack of sleep drove me crazy to the point where people started to show up at my house breaking in, expecting me to no longer be alive. But I just finally fell asleep and didn't set an alarm. And I saw myself this last month not sleeping again. And instead of allowing it to drive me crazy, I'm like, you know what, God, I'm so excited to watch you pull through again. Because last time you showed up, last time you pulled through, and I slept like a baby for two more years, this is, this is cake, this is easy. I've watched you show up in my life before, and I'm gonna watch you do it again. And it's so powerful. And I'm not gonna sit here and say it was so easy. I skipped around with two hours of sleep a night for a month. No, it was hard. And I felt the weight. I was messing up at work. I was sleeping in and not spending time with the Lord some days. Showing up late to work, it was hard. But in the back of my mind, I never lost faith once. And I continued to pursue the Lord. So now Pastor Aaron told me I need to work on my transitions. And I totally didn't. So we're gonna have an abrupt ending on that conversation and go into the next. So did you hear that, Pastor Aaron? Okay, cool. Um, so we're going to verse four. This is a totally different shift. So that was my transition. How cool is that? That was my transition. Yeah, Pastor Aaron, I hope you heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> Transitions are hard. How do you go from talking about being a child and looking at God like a child to talking about the church? How do you do that? Come on, thank you. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. Anyways, verse four through five. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So before we start talking about refinement, we're gonna talk about the church for a second. Oh, getting thirsty. Okay, so I love this idea of living stones being built into a spiritual house. So in this sense, they're talking about the spiritual house is the church. And the living stones are each individual that is the church. So I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but the church isn't these four or five walls that are in this building right here. The church is us. The church is you. It's you. It's you. It's you. We're all living stones in this church. 
And I love the idea of that because in Ephesians 2.22, it says, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this idea of all these living stones being built together to film a house, to film a spiritual house. It is so powerful because each and every one of us is a living stone being built up to a place where God rests and God lives. And it's just the idea of togetherness really spoke to me on this. We're walking this walk together. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So this idea of, being together, this idea of accountability, I look at it like if one of these five guys up here was stranded in the forest or stranded in the wilderness by themselves, their chances of survival are slim. Now put two of them together, it's a little bit greater. Their chances of survival in the wilderness are a little bit greater. Now three, now four, now five. And it talks about accountability all over the Bible. And what is this accountability? When it talks about two being together, three can't be broken, my Vance, we all know who Vance is. Vance was one of my closest friends. Vance is the skinny guy with tattoos. He was here last week, if you guys remember what I'm talking about. But he used to serve in here, and he was my best friend. He was my accountability partner. What that looked like is constant phone calls to one another. We used to talk about this Bible. We used to call each other every time we'd get a revelation. There was days when we would talk for hours and hours each and every day just about what we were learning, what God was showing us, what God was doing. And my faith in that season was so strong and it's still strong like that today, but I was so motivated because I had accountability like that. And I still do, don't get me wrong, Vance is still there. He lives in Kansas City now, so he's a lot less free, I guess you could say. He's in school and work and everything, but, but I still have that accountability. When one of us would be facing temptation, we would text each other. Or if one of us fell to temptation, we would text one, of another, one another and we'd say, hey man, I sinned today a little bit and we would just send an encouraging message back, praying for one another, lifting one another up, telling each other, you're okay, fight the good fight. It's okay. Give back up and keep going. So within the church, we're talking about living stones. And this was one of my favorite things about, that actually completely changed today was this living stone. So it says this house is built on living stones and how we're each individual living stones. Well, how do we become the best living stone that we can be? How do we become refined? So in construction, so for you guys who don't know, I'm um, an estimator, project manager in construction, head of finance in a way. Um, so that's what I do. So my mind thinks in construction terms. So in construction, when you're building something out of stone, a lot of times that stone comes in bad shape. It comes with issues, edges aren't smooth. So it has to go through a process called refinement. Refinement is a term used very often in the Bible. In Psalm 66, verses eight through 12, I'm gonna skip down to 10. For you, God tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Now, this process of refinement is what I went through for two years and what I'm most excited to talk to you guys about because refinement can be pretty ugly sometimes. I'm talking, I'm going felony speeds on my Harley yelling at God. Why am I waking up three months into my walk with you still miserable? Why am I waking up five months 
still miserable. Why am I not falling asleep now six months in? What is going on? I remember getting so frustrated, but I persevered. The same way that you guys can persevere through what's going on. And I remember I looked back and this is everyone's individual in the process of refinement. Mine took a long time because of me. Because I kept thinking, oh, I'm fine. Oh, I, I gave up this addiction. That's all I needed to do. I'm good now. I stopped going out on Friday and Saturday nights. I'm good now. That's all I needed to do. But it's hard. You get put through the fire. And the best example I can put on it is I remember getting frustrated because I was still struggling and I still had my house and everything and God started to put on my heart to sell my house and move it with my parents. And I was like, okay, I'm 25. I don't wanna go move back in with my parents. Like I've been independent since I went to college. Like I don't really wanna do that, but all right, God, I'll do it. And it wasn't until then that I realized I had to go through so much more refinement because when I moved back in with my parents and people would ask me, oh, where are you living nowadays? Oh, I just sold my house that I owned and bought with my own money and purchased it. And then now I just moved back in with my parents for the time being. It was no longer I live with my parents. So I still found that I had this desire for money and pride in it. My identity was still wrapped up in my intelligence and money that I had. It, was no, it no longer was all about God. It was about me. And it was as simple as God telling me, just say you live with your parents humiliate yourself, be humble. And there's nothing wrong with living with your parents, but it, to me there was, because I wasn't, if that makes sense. But I found through the process of refinement, and it was hard the first few times I did and just said, I live with my parents. But I was refined, and my love for money dwindled, and my pride dwindled. I no longer cared about what man thought. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I would hold on to verses like that. God says, use a sword of the spirit. That's the Bible. I would hold on to scripture like that. And I would say, it doesn't matter what man thinks of me. All that matters is what God thinks of me. Or Proverbs 11, four, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. It would remind me that everything that I, I wrap myself and my identity with is quite literally worthless. And when God comes back, you're not taking it with you. And if your identity is wrapped up in that, and that's all you're after in life, it might not go with him. And that was a sobering thought with me because I had all my identity wrapped up in that stuff. And now refinement is so much more beautiful to me. It's not quite as ugly to me anymore. Now I look at it. As a beautiful thing, and I ask God for more refinement. I lay, in Psalms 4.4, David talks about laying in bed and searching the deepest parts of your heart. That's what refinement looks like to me. Now, God, if there's anything ugly in me today, get rid of it tomorrow. Get rid of it. Take me through this process of refinement again. Make me better. Polish me as a living stone so I could be a strong living stone for you. So I, can't, I won't be a stone that makes other people stumble. I'll be a stone living righteous for you, that boosts people up, that picks people up. Now, I'm running a little bit low on time, so we're gonna skip ahead to verse 11 through 12. We'll go back. So it says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. 
live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God the day he visits. So foreigners and exiles, I love this idea because it was so powerful to me in Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And I love this because it reminded me that although I live in this world, my mind is occupied with heaven. My mind is occupied with all the, the plans that God has for me, the desires that God has for me. I think about eternity now. It reminds me that everything that you're doing, when you wake up tomorrow and go to school, it's essentially meaningless. The most important thing in your life is your walk with God. It is, number one, if God calls you to not go to college and pursue a life of ministry, then you do it. It's a degree of sacrifice. I had no plans on saying that. I don't know if that spoke to somebody, but. It's about setting your mind on him. It's not about what you want. It's not about your own dreams. Now, of course, those are wonderful and God will put things on your heart but you start setting your mind on things above and the plans that God has for you. So I'm gonna end with this. This is my favorite rant that I love to do right now. And it says, I'm just gonna read this one part of this verse. Live such good lives among the pagans. And that's it. I've been on this massive study about living like Jesus. It's all I've been studying. And I've been looking at how he walked this earth. And I look at the ways that he walked this earth and the way he treated people and the way he loved people, the way he was quiet when other people would speak up and the way he spoke up when it was appropriate. And the biggest thing that I found, and a lot of you guys have heard me preach this message before, but for those who haven't, I encourage you to listen. The best way to live like Jesus is to love and to forgive some of the very things he came on this earth to do. And what does that look like in your everyday relationships? How are you treating people? Are you looking at people with the same forgiveness and mercy that Jesus looks on you? Or are you judging? Or are you being angry? Start to look at people with love. I have this theory, I say it all the time, that me and my wife will never argue. Because if she does something that upsets me, I look at her with so much forgiveness and so much humility that I can't get angry. Because I look at her through humility and forgiveness, not through how could you do this to me? Why would you do this and it upset me? But I look at it through the lens of what Jesus looks at us when we fall short. And that's such a life-changing thing. Me and Luke could be best friends for eternity for the rest of our lives. And I will never argue with Luke because we both have that idea of looking at people with humility and forgiveness. And you treat people with that love and that kindness. And you be an example. So I challenge you guys, we're about to close, we're about to end in this song of worship and head into small groups, but I would just challenge you guys to think about some things that you can set aside that you can rid yourself of, whether they're heart postures or whether what you're doing on your weekends. And if you wanna live your life for God, think, what can I sacrifice for the Lord? What type of things can I do for God? What can I set to the side? Start thinking about this process of refinement and some of these tough things you're going through. Start looking at them through the lens of Jesus. Man, this is so hard. My parents fighting all the time. My, this divorce that I'm going through, my parents don't talk to each other. I'm talking that deep stuff. I witness alcohol abuse. I see it every day. I'm talking about that. Start looking at it through the lens of Jesus. Man, how can I use this to change lives? How can I use this to preach the gospel? Start thinking 
through the lens of Jesus, through the times of refinement. And last but not least, I would challenge you guys the thing we just talked about, how you can start loving people, start thinking about people that you can start looking at through that lens of forgiveness and humility. Whether that be your parents, you have a hard time agreeing with what your mother and father do and what they say, start looking at things through their eyes. Start understanding the way that they act. And this is so beautiful and powerful when you do it to non-believers. It doesn't have to just be with believers. When a non-believer angers you and you love them with humility and kindness, it shows. And it makes a huge impact. And they'll say, something's different about that person. They didn't get upset when I called them an idiot. They didn't get upset when I ridiculed them in front of everybody. They didn't care. All they did was forgive me such a powerful thing. So I would challenge you guys to think about some people in your life that you can look at through the lens that Jesus looks at you, that humility and forgiveness and love. It says in the Bible, God is love. That's what he is. He is love. Start looking for people that you can love on. Seek those who need a doctor. It says it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, it's the sick. Start seeking out the sick who need a doctor that you can be a light to, that you can show the gospel to. Well, I hope you were encouraged by that awesome message. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at The Rock Church, Y-T-H. We'll see you soon.